Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Francis and I begin today a new series of conversations <clears throat> that will be drawn largely from the Holy Father's theme for the extraordinary year of mercy. And in fact, much of it will be taken from the text um, that the Holy Father has recent re recently released. It's actually a, a, a series of uh, questions, an interview session that he uh, offered to a journalist and it was put in book form, and the book is titled, The Name of God is Mercy. You know, so often we think about mercy, and we understand that we have a merciful God, but I don't know that we have as full an appreciation for what is meant by mercy as the Holy Father reveals both in this book and in the gift of the extraordinary year of mercy. And so that's what we'll be talking about uh, for at least a couple of weeks, Francis. And while I'm at it, how are you? Welcome. I'm feeling blessed. I'm so glad to be here and to speak of God's mercy. And in reading this book, um, you know, it just made my heart beat all the stronger, uh, knowing how much love our Father has for us and His mercy for us. Well, I had a similar experience. And again, I have to say, and I know you and I had the opportunity to talk about this before uh, we came on air, even as far back as a week ago. Um, you said there were a number of revelations for you in the book. There were for me as well. Some of it not new. The Holy Father has been very consistent in this theme throughout his papacy. But I found some revelations in his explanation of the definition of mercy. You know, so often I think we tend to think of mercy in the context of social justice, that God just, uh, you know, automatically forgives our sins and then he wants to do good things for us. And of course, there's an element of that, obviously. Uh, but the Holy Father is really opening up the theme, which we'll get into after we pray, the theme of healing through his gift of mercy, which goes beyond his justice, goes beyond his forgiveness, uh, and really leads to our healing. I thought that was a powerful message. Right. And so I have picked a, a wonderful prayer to begin this conversation. Um, it is Pope Francis's prayer for this extraordinary Jubilee year of mercy. So let us get quiet and reach deep within, within our hearts and soul, to find the Lord's presence within us and let us pray in union with him in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you have taught us to be merciful like the Heavenly Father, and you have told us that whoever sees you sees him. Show us your face, and we will be saved. Your loving gaze freed Zacchaeus and Matthew from being enslaved by money, the adulteress and Magdalene from seeking happiness only in created things, made Peter weep after his betrayal, and assured paradise to the repentant thief. Let us hear, as if addressed to each one of us, the words that you spoke to the Samaritan woman. If you knew the gift of God, you are the visible face of the invisible Father, of the God who manifests his power above all by forgiveness and mercy. Let the church be your visible face in the world, its Lord risen and glorified. You willed that your ministers would also be clothed in weakness in order that they may feel compassion for those in ignorance and error. Let everyone who approaches them feel sought after, loved, and forgiven by God. Send your spirit 
and consecrate every one of us with its anointing, so that the jubilee of mercy may be a year of grace from the Lord, and your church, with renewed enthusiasm, may bring good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to captives and the oppressed, and restore sight to the blind. We ask this through the intercession of Mary, Mother of Mercy, you who live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. I want to begin by reading the scripture verse that uh, uh, Francis pointed out to me. Maybe the Holy Father didn't choose it, but it is at the beginning of the book. Uh, Maybe the editor of the book who chose it. It's a familiar verse to all of us, and it does sort of set the context. We're going to, as we so often do, because we're good Carmelites, use scripture throughout our conversation, as the Holy Father does in reference to a whole series that... Uh, of messages he wants to communicate. And I want to emphasize, too, we're not uh, just going to proceed lockstep through the book. Certainly, um, you can read the book, and I encourage our listeners to do that. Uh, but we want to bring in other points about this extraordinary year of mercy and, and what it means to us. Uh, but we'll begin that with the scripture verse. Francis. Well, before you get to that scripture yeah. verse, I just want to point out that Pope Francis has a great love for one of our Carmelite saints. Well, for all of our Carmelite saints, but in particular for St. Therese, the little flower. And, you know, she said this one thing about mercy, about divine mercy, that I think really helps us frame the emphasis that Pope Francis has on divine mercy today. Therese said, To me he has manifested his infinite mercy. And in this resplendent mirror... I contemplate his other attributes. There, each appears radiant with love. So we can keep that in mind because uh, that's going to keep coming up through our conversation today and next week. Yes, certainly the the theme of love, not unique to uh, um, uh, Therese, although I think she did as as, uh, good a job of explaining it as any of our Carmelite saints, actually of any of the saints, period. Uh, It was her central theme. Um, and you're right, uh, Pope Francis has a great devotion to the Carmelites in general, um, evidence his own um, uh, request of them when he was the Archbishop uh, in Argentina for their prayers and his use of uh, quotes from both St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa in this book. An important point that I wanted to make was that it's through this lens of divine mercy, this infinite divine mercy. So it's through that lens um, that's how Therese was looking at the Father. And I think um, the last three popes, in fact, uh, starting with John Paul II and, and, and Benedict XVI and now Pope Francis, have all three just made a big crescendo on that point. And so, uh, and of course with St. Faustina, it just keeps coming more and more layers being revealed to us to prepare our hearts to receive the immense grace that he's offering in these dark times. Well, we hear often that this is the hour of mercy right meaning in, in the general sense at the time of great mercy and, and we, we know it's the jubilee the yeah. extraordinary jubilee of divine mercy and we need to understand what that message is but let, let's begin by uh, reading this verse that is at the very beginning of the book um, again largely a series of uh, question and uh, responses on the part of the holy father uh, and it begins this way from the gospel of luke um, 18 9 through 14 Speaking of Jesus, it says, He then addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. 
The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. O God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. But the tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, the latter went home justified, not the former, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I read that not uh, so that we um, can reflect on what may be our traditional understanding of that scriptural verse. Uh, oh, what a bad person it turns out the Pharisee is, and, and uh, the humility of the tax collector. But as it was pointed out to me in a homily, Francis, over the weekend, uh, Saturday actually, um, you know, the, the Pharisee is not a bad person, right, is he? Right. He's actually a very good person. He's following the law. He's doing everything that he was taught to do. Exactly right. And, and so the trap for those of us who uh, may be making some progress on the spiritual journey and who live a life of prayer and in an interior life, remember the devil's last bastion of assault on us is spiritual pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, the belief that we are uh, sufficient in whatever it is that we're doing. And so we have to always be on guard for that. And this is why I think the Holy Father is calling out a theme and a message of uh, healing. Now, I, I want to continue by using a term from my corporate experience that's called BLUF, B-L-U-F, which stands for the bottom line up front. I always hate it when I have to sit, Francis, through an hour-long presentation only to be told at the end what it was all about. So we're going to tell you what this is all about right from the beginning, as the Holy Father does. And now we're going to continue uh, throughout the course of our conversation in explaining to you what the Holy Father's real central message is in this entire book and in this entire extraordinary Jubilee Year of Mercy. Uh, And it really comes from the introductory pages, Francis, Uh, And if you don't mind, I'm going to read them. It's a somewhat lengthy section, but let me just read through this. Mercy, the Bishop of Rome said during a morning sermon, and again, this is taken from the interviewer's text, is something difficult to understand. It does not erase sin. Now that phrase alone, Francis, caught my attention. He says, it does not erase sin. What erases sin is God's forgiveness but mercy is the way in which God forgives. I think that's very important. Mercy is the way in which God forgives. Yeah, yes. and, and he's going to make the point here, and we need to understand this is, he even says, it's a difficult point, so I encourage our listeners, uh, please stay with us and think through this. Again, the Holy Father has said, difficult to understand, it is not what erases sin. Mercy, he says, is not what erases sin. That's God's forgiveness. Mercy is the way in which God forgives, because Jesus could have said, I forgive you, now go. As he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Here in this situation, Jesus goes further and advises the woman. This is the woman who was caught in adultery, just as a preemptive uh, point. We will be using that scripture verse uh, throughout this conversation. In fact, the woman who's caught in adultery, who Jesus um, defends and then, of course, uh, speaks to, he says, it says, Jesus goes further and advises this woman caught in adultery not to sin again. Here we see the merciful attitude of Jesus. He defends sinners from their enemies. He defends the sinners from a just condemnation. This, Pope Francis added, 
also applies to us. How many of us would deserve to be condemned? And it would be just. But instead he forgives. How? With mercy, which does not erase the sin. Only God's forgiveness erases it. Again, I'm speaking the words of the Holy Father. Well, mercy, he says, goes further. And this is very poetic. He said, it is like the sky. We look at the sky when it is full of stars, but when the sun comes out in the morning with all its light, we don't see the stars anymore. That is what God's mercy is like, a great light of love and tenderness, because God forgives not with a decree, but with a caress. He does it by caressing the wounds of our sin because he is involved in forgiving. He is involved in our salvation. In this sense, the text goes on, Pope Francis concluded, Jesus is a confessor. He does not humiliate the adulteress, the woman caught in adultery. He does not exclaim, what have you done? When did you do it? How did you do it? Who did you do it with? On the contrary, he tells her, go and sin no more. The mercy of God is great. The mercy of Jesus is great. They forgive us by caressing us. I think that's a remarkably powerful message. Yeah, that reminds me of the healing touch. (laughs) Yeah, Pope Francis's um, message of mercy is really the centrality of his entire uh, pontificate. He's made that clear. In fact, uh, from page five in this text, he says as much, centrality of mercy, which for me is Jesus, is the most important message of the gospel. He goes on in identifying in this extraordinary year of mercy uh, the importance of the church uh, reaching out to uh, those of us who are so much in need of this gift of mercy. And he uses the imagery of mother, mother church. He says, yes, I believe that this is a time for mercy. The church is showing her maternal side, her motherly face to humanity that is wounded. And isn't that just like a loving mother to always be reaching out to help to heal, to straighten, to cleanse, to caress. I thought you might enjoy oh, that. Oh, yes, I did. That, I, <laughs> that I maternal love that. reference. Yeah, that's the first time I thought of mercy as a caress, and I really like that analogy. Well, he goes on, he says, she does not wait, the church he's referring to now, she does not wait for the wounded to knock on her door. She looks for them on the streets. She gathers them in. She embraces them. She takes care of them. She makes them feel loved. And again, we can all relate to this uh, maternal instinct, uh, so so prevalent, of course, in the Blessed Mother, uh, going out and seeking her children, embracing them, caressing them. This is, not to lose the point, this is the central theme uh, of the Holy Father's entire message for the year of mercy, that mercy is more than justice. It is more than forgiveness. God can forgive by decree. He can choose to forgive when he um, objectively identifies that we violated the law. And of course, as we'll discuss, we have all done that. But he goes beyond that. Mercy is about healing. Sinfulness is not just um, the, the break of the covenant relationship that we have with God, but it leaves us as the individual wounded, very deeply right. wounded. And what the Holy Father is saying is that mercy is the healing ointment that we need. Forgiveness is necessary, and justice is necessary, but mercy is what leads to healing. And as St. Therese the Little Flower said, mercy trumps justice. So, um, you know, uh, 
Finally, Pope Francis has described many times how he sees the church not as some institution of laws and house of judgment, but rather as what he calls, and I like this very much, a field hospital in the midst of a spiritual battlefield. You know, so often when we talk about healing, we talk about, you know, the doctors and the nurses, and especially the nurses who get a lot of the dirty work, <laughs> um, but that healing touch. So when Pope Francis referred to the church as a field hospital, um, you know, I'm thinking mash units, right? And then I'm thinking of the mash show on TV and what that looked like. And when you put that in a spiritual sense, I think that really captures beautifully um, the the need and the gift and grace of mercy being given to us now. And you know, there's an interesting book. Uh, I'll just make quick reference to this. Uh, it's entitled Angels of the Battlefield. It's actually a history of the labors of the Catholic sisterhoods uh, during the Civil War, the later stages of the Civil War. And I thought of that when I heard the Holy Father some time ago, actually, uh, this term field hospital is not new, but uh, the way you describe it, Francis, as the field hospital in the spiritual battlefield is very, I think, analogous to what we're seeing in the world today. Um, and this particular book, Angels in the Battlefield, I thought was a material, a worldly example of exactly what the Holy Father is talking about. It's an interesting read if you want to go and find it. You know, he goes on to point out that as a result of this war, this spiritual battle that is ongoing and certainly is at a fever pitch, I might argue today, Francis, in our society, mm -hmm. he says from the book, humanity is wounded. In fact, he goes on to say it is deeply wounded. Either it does not know how to cure its wounds or it believes that it's not possible to cure them. And it's not just a question, he says, of social ills. This was my point earlier about we hear the word mercy and we immediately think of social justice. We think, oh, we have to run out and feed the poor and, you know, care for the homeless and do all those things. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, but um, we have to do all those things in the context of mercy. Well, that's true. Absolutely. Nobody would debate that. But the Holy Father is telling us, no, no, it's deeper than that. It goes beyond that because our woundedness is more than the surface, um, um, you know, sort of degradation of the human uh, experience that we see uh, in poverty and in sickness and in uh, deprivation uh, of spiritual good. He says, um, it is not just a question of social ills or people wounded by poverty, social exclusion, or one of many slaveries of the third millennium, and we can identify many of those slaveries, uh, but relativism, relativism, he says, wounds people too. All things seem equal. All things appear the same, he says. Humanity needs mercy. It needs compassion. He cites Pope uh, Pius XII here. He says, more than half a century ago, said that the tragedy of our age was that it had lost its sense of sin, the awareness of sin. That is what the Holy Father is talking about. Yes, again, we need to be uh, socially minded people who, who care for uh, the disenfranchised within our society, but the most disenfranchised are those who suffer blindly with their sin. And Pope Pius XII recognized that as far back as, as the 1960s, and Pope, the 50s. And Pope Francis takes that, you know, losing the sense of sin further. He says, today we add further to the tragedy by considering our illness, our sins, to be incurable things that cannot be healed or forgiven. So, I mean, just imagine if you meet a person who is in that spot where they feel incurable. 
uh, either illness or sins that cannot be healed or forgiven. That's a real point of despair for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I would ask you to read the very next sentence, Francis, on that, because I agree with you. And he, he, he says very explicitly why it is that we're suffering in this condition. He says we lack the actual concrete experience of mercy. So, and of course, if you want to receive mercy, you should dish it out too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. He's saying, I don't think we have an appreciation for what mercy is. We've diminished it uh, and put it in the context so, simply of, uh, you know, sort of a social justice uh, view of the world. Uh, in the book, the Holy Father goes on to quote G.K. Chesterton, and this is building on this theme of, um, you know, all things are equal, all have the same weight, so to speak. He says, Chesterton, that is, says, when man ceases to worship God, he does not worship nothing, but unfortunately worships everything. And anything, and everything whatever you feel equal. like at the moment. <laughs> hey, listen, this is my expression of love. This is my expression of freedom. This is my expression of, uh, of social justice. And what happens is we define for ourselves how that should manifest itself in the work and in the world and the holy father is saying no no our work is to be about god's mercy god's healing mercy which goes much deeper than the the attributes of social justice of justice or of forgiveness yes because once forgiven we still need the healing and that's where god is reaching out with his caress well we want to proceed in this uh, conversation francis and i uh, in an issue that's somewhat different than the approach that the Holy Father took in his book, and, and that is to introduce some additional scripture verses uh, that sort of lead us down this path of understanding the human condition. That's what we're talking okay. about, is the human condition. In, in fairness, as I said, the book is really an interview with Pope Francis, granted, uh, in, in that structure, and it's built in a sequ uh, sequence of questions and his responses. Uh, but we want to frame this in the context of these three scripture verses um, and Francis, you thought it was important, and I agree, that we should sort of lay those out. Those who may be listening uh, to us uh, later after the live broadcast might want to grab their Bible and have it at the ready. So, right, uh, so let's, let's just cite those, uh, those verses first. All right. These are the three main verses, and they talk about times in the Bible where God either commissions someone to write or he writes with his own hand. Okay, so here's the three scripture passages in, in the major three places. Exodus 34, verse 28, Daniel 5, verses 1 through 27, and John 8, verses 3 through 11. Now, you went back and looked up that Daniel verse, didn't you? Because I don't remember making reference to it. I said book, uh, book, book five. Book of Daniel, chapter five, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, you did your homework, I can see yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's important. <laughs> Well, so let's begin with um, Exodus, Exodus uh, thirty-four twenty-eight. Now, there is one other scripture verse, which we'll get to in just a moment. But um, And as Francis said, these are the three instances in the Bible where God either commissions someone to write, specifically what he wants said, or uh, he uses a spirit to do it, or he does it himself. And here's the first one, Exodus thirty-four twenty-eight. All right. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Of course, we all know this scripture verse. We all know the story. The Lord calls him up uh, on the mountain. He spends his 40 days fasting. Uh, and then the Lord uh, gives to him 
the Ten Commandments, which Moses, we don't know exactly how he did it, but he somehow inscribed it into the stone tablets, which he then later took down into the camp uh, of the Israelites. Um, but the analogy of writing in stone is very important, and we want to. And you've uh, got to explain that. that. <laughs> All right. Well, let me give you this scripture verse first uh, from Romans two fourteen through fifteen. We read. Indeed, when Gentiles, that's all of us, by the way, listener, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are themselves, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. So, what I'm, what I'm drawing out here is the fact that Moses actually wrote in a stone tablet, but the Lord tells us that this is written in our hearts. The analogy that Francis was asking for is the human heart that does not live with the law that has been inscribed on it is hardened to the law. It is yeah. unable to hear the law. It is unable to respond to God's call. And we have a reading, actually, in Galatians 3, which I'm not going to do, but I encourage our listeners and those who have time to go back to Galatians chapter 3 and read what Paul has to say about justification by faith, vice the law. He, he lays out this story for us, but basically his theme is the law is written in our hearts. If our hearts are made of stone, they're not conditioned to be able to both receive and live the law. We must not only soften our hearts to God's word, but we must come to accept our responsibility. This is the only way that can bring about this healing that we've been talking about. We are going to take a break because we're at that time. Uh, and a reminder that you're listening to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. I was a drifter. I had nowhere to go. I was hanging by threads of dust and bone Every angel I knew was singing Son, come home But the melody was hard to sing along Oh God, you're my deliverer And now I'm like a child and I do never ask 
chance to think of why We're free to love and live and die And there's no need to justify The sinner that's inside of me Has lost all his control of me My God! From the flood and from the fire You brought me out I am alive with the faith Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are picking up on the uh, conversation that Francis and I are having, uh, drawn largely from a text by the Holy Father entitled, The Name of God is Mercy. The theme, of course, is mercy. We are in the extraordinary jubilee year of mercy, and the Holy Father has a very uh, important, and he admits, uh, perhaps difficult to understand, message with regard to mercy. What does it mean for us? Uh, and we're trying to bring that out in our discussion today. Uh, we've understood, uh, first of all, that the law of God through the Ten Commandments is written in our hearts, that we must soften our hearts to that message if we are to prepare ourselves for the healing that mercy brings about. And now we want to go to the second instance in the Bible where the Holy Father, oh, I'm sorry, where, where God the Father uh, actually writes, um, we believe in this case, in his own hand, uh, certainly in a, in a uh, human hand, but um, we're, we're led to believe through the uh, Scripture reading that this was actually God writing on the wall. So a little backdrop to the story, Francis. Uh, King Balthazar, who was actually the son of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, is holding a banquet in his palace, and there's uh, drinking and frivolity and all the rest of it going on. And all of a sudden, uh, a hand appears and begins to write on the wall where everybody can see it, and everybody uh, is quite taken aback by it. Um, and then uh, later, we'll discover that uh, the prophet Daniel is going to have to come and help people understand the meaning of this manifestation of God writing on the wall. And I'm going to let you pick up with the scripture verses, if you would. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, 
They praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. This is where God is sending a clear message, but it takes the prophet Daniel then to discern what this message. So we need to listen to see if this applies to us. Yeah, like like so many today now, we, we think we're getting messages from God. I saw an article the other day about how many false prophets there are in the world right mm-hmm. now. We were warned about false prophets. Uh, of course, the king here, uh, Balthazar, uh, commissions all of his astrologers and so forth to come forward and read this writing that's on the wall, and none of them can interpret it, right? Right. Instead, it is the man of God, Daniel, the man of deep prayer, the contemplative Daniel, who is commissioned ultimately to be brought forward so that the the king can be uh, given insight on what it is that God is communicating to him. So I continue with the verse. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished he killed, and whomever he wished he spared alive, and whomever he wished he elevated, and whomever he wished he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of beast, and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind, and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand." But the God in whose hand is your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. Now, we just want to uh, take a moment to sort of draw out some of the key themes in this uh, chastisement of Belshazzar that Daniel is offering. Uh, Clearly, the central theme here is pride. It's arrogance. It is a misuse of the instruments of worship that should be used to worship God. Um, For those of us who are listening in the context of our modern era, uh, we can draw our own analogies as to what this means and how it may be manifesting uh, itself in our own society. But it's clear that Balthazar has lost his vision, he's lost his uh, humility, and he is no longer worshiping God in a way that he should. Now, 
Um, I suspect there aren't many of us who may be guilty of the, the sins of Balthazar, uh, but in some way, the very things he talks about, the worshiping of idols, turning to those gods which cannot speak to us, we are uh, uh, familiar with that, of course, in our own lives. Whenever we've fallen away from uh, the true path, whenever we've not given sufficient uh, um, reverence to the things of God, uh, we do stand in Balthazar's shoes in some respect. And when we have sin on our soul, we lose the light that helps us understand how God is acting. So we cannot see clearly. We lose perspective. And so what Daniel was coming to read on the wall were three words, Mene, Tekel, and Perez. Mene meant God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel meant you have weighed on the scales and found wanting. And we want to, to focus on that one. The third one, Perez, was your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So we want to focus on this middle one, Tekel. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Yeah, how many of us want to hear that as we stand before the Father? <laughs> no, I want to say, go straight to heaven, Francis. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, you wrote out the other two. I didn't, but I, I will just take a second to reflect on those because we could see those two in the context of the words of John Paul II. Hmm. John Paul II. St. John Paul II said, you know, the, the um, time for God's intervention into our world um, is now inevitable. It is not a question of whether it will happen. It is only a question of the degree to which it will happen. I'm paraphrasing somewhat, but these are the words of St. John Paul II. So with reference to the, uh, the eventual fall of Balthazar's kingdom, we might question for ourselves what that might mean for our world. But Tekel is the verse, as Francis said, that we want to focus on. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. These are frightful words. In other words, judgment day has come. Um, we can see this in the context of the first station of the cross, which Francis and I walked through in our programming last week, where in that very first station, Jesus is condemned. Of course, he's condemned in the... Um, uh, stead, if you will, of humanity. We all stand condemned. We've all been found wanting. But here's the really big question for each of us. Why did Balthazar, Balthazar have to call in this prophet, this, this Israelite prophet, to read the message? Why could it not be read by the sages of his age, the astrologers who I mentioned before? Well, I, I will tell you, for all of us, we need to wrestle with this question. Are we capable of discerning our own shortcomings, our you know, uh, um, challenge that we've been weighed and found wanting? Are we capable of doing this? In Psalm 19, verses 12 through 13, we get some insight on what's happening here and why it is that the man of God must discern what's been communicated to the king. And Psalm 19 reads, Who can discern his error? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. We are going to read a passage from the Holy Father in just a, a, a short moment or two uh, that may shock the ears of some who have not read his book. But, but I will tell you, the Holy Father understands inherently this idea that we've all been found wanting in our weighing on the scales. And we are all guilty of being unable to discern our hidden faults. That's a good thing to know because this is what ultimately will lead to our healing. And again, scripturally grounded in Romans 3.23, we read, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Well, in his interview, the Holy Father pointed out that we must be able to see our lives in light of the Old Testament book of Ezekiel 16. Um, we're not going to read this here, first, because it's long, and second, because it's val- very challenging to hear. So I'm sure in our hearts we're saying, you know, go go read that homework, you know. <laughs> God essentially is accusing Israel of being a faithless spouse, a whore, and a prostitute. And the passage reads, do you want to read this? Or? Yeah, no, let me, uh, this, is, this is the passage, well, it, the Holy Father has asked this question, and he references all of Ezekiel 16. And again, I'll echo Francis's comment. It's not something we really want to hear. Uh, it's very challenging, but here's a section of it that gives you really the gist of it. The Lord is speaking. He says, how languishing is your heart, declares the Lord God. While you do all these things, which he had previously listed, and we won't go through, uh, the actions of a bold-faced harlot, when you built your shrine at the beginning of every street and made your high place in every square and disdaining money, you were not like other harlots. You were an adulterous wife who takes strangers into her husband instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all harlots, but you, but, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them, to come uh, to you from every direction from your harlotries. Thus you are different from those women in your harlotries in that no one plays the harlot as you do because you give money and no money is given to you. Thus you are different. The Holy Father referenced this chapter of Ezekiel specifically, and he made reference to it with regard to his own experience. And of course, we need to be clear about what's happening here. Um, The Lord God, or the Holy Father in this case, are not saying uh, that individuals are playing the harlot. What we're talking about are not the enactment of these uh, physical uh, manifestations of unfaithfulness, but it is our heart which has been taken away. It is our heart which gives itself away to everything and, in fact, pays for the privilege to do so. We could see this in the context of those who may be uh, addicted to alcohol or to pornography or even to lesser uh, sins, but the point that the Holy Father is making in his reference to this chapter is we give away our hearts, but we give them away for nothing. We have thrown away the graces of God. We have torn asunder the relationship, the covenant that we have, and we've done so at our own cost. Well, the Holy Father goes on to point out something very important, like the tax collector. When we present ourselves for confession, we need to do more than pray for the grace to know our sins. We also need to pray for the grace to experience shame. And I think this is where he goes in um, the book, to the Ezekiel chapter. He says, I can read my life in light of chapter 16 of the book of the prophet Ezekiel. I read those pages and I say, everything here seems written just for me. The prophet speaks of shame and shame is a grace. When one feels the mercy of God, he feels a great shame for himself and for his sin. I liked how he point out that shame is a grace. It's a really a great opportunity for a turning point. Yeah, it, it is. And he emphasizes that by uh, making sure that we understand this all has to do with healing. The, the Holy Father is not trying to make us feel discouraged or, or uh, you know, he's not trying to judge us. He puts himself in that position. It's important that we recall Francis's first sentence. He puts himself in that position. He says, I can read my life in light of Ezekiel 16. You should read Ezekiel 16, listener, and see if you can read your life in it. He goes on, though, in um, discussing this idea of healing and explains the importance of the sacrament of confession, what it's really about. 
He says, um, referencing an, an example, um, and I'm going to read the question from the interviewer first. He says, you once said that the confessional should not be a dry cleaner. <laughs> what does that mean, the Holy Father? What did you mean by that? Here's his answer. He says, it was an example, an image to explain the hypocrisy of those who believe that sin is a stain and only a stain, something that you can have dry cleaned away so that everything goes back to normal. The way you take a jacket or a dress to have a stain removed, but you put it in the wash and that's it. But sin is more than a stain. Sin is a wound. It needs to be treated. It needs to be healed. This is why I use that expression. I was trying to explain that going to confession is not like taking your clothes to the dry cleaner. I love that example. <laughs> and I've never heard that before. And I thought, wow, that was really potent. <laughs> well, it is because, and unfortunately, it's also true that so many of us have become so accustomed uh, to reconciliation. You know, we hear, oh, you should go once a month. You really need to go once a month. And some go more frequently, and I applaud that. But we need to prepare ourselves for reconciliation. And the preparation, which the Holy Father is going to give us uh, throughout the course of this book and our conversation, the, the, the preparation is all important because if we want to be healed of our sin, of our woundedness, we need to understand the depth of the depravity that we have sunk to. This is why he uses very strong language, which is referenced in Ezekiel 16. And again, I say, if you read this, listener, you're going to come back with it and say, oh my gosh, he can't really mean that. The Holy Father can't mean that his life is lived as though uh, he, he were the, the um, a prostitute in Ezekiel 16. And of course, again, I'll say, he's not talking about the use of genitalia. He's talking about our heart. He's talking about how our heart has been stolen away by the things of the world and how we've given it away, uh, and not only for nothing, but we've paid for the privilege. And so the importance of the sacrament of confession, which he says, and I agree, I love the analogy, it isn't about removing a stain. God could remove the stain easily. God wants to heal the brokenness, the woundedness in the human heart, and that's much deeper, and that requires mercy. So we have a third reading, Francis. This was the third major reading that we were picking. This one is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And, of course, this was the the, uh, Scripture verse we referenced early on and is a central reference for the Holy Father throughout his book. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. 
You know, there's been a lot of theological reflection on what it is that Christ may have been writing in the dust on the right. ground that day, Francis. And I think because Scripture doesn't give us the answer, we are given the opportunity to reflect. I think the Lord wants us to ask ourselves that question. Some suspect, and in fact, the Holy Father even puts this in his book. He doesn't say this is the answer. He just acknowledges that some theologians have speculated that what the uh, what our Lord was writing in the dust that day were the sins of the Pharisees who so much wanted this woman stone. Or maybe he was writing on the ground the word judgment, indicating that we will all face judgment one day. And perhaps before we begin accusing, uh, we might want to reconsider how we will stand at judgment day. Um, but I don't think either of those is true. And because we are given the opportunity, Francis, we're <laughs> going to speculate as well. You know, the good news is that because Scripture doesn't give us that answer, we can put our own reflection in there, which doesn't have to be theological. And I'm going to preface this with, this is not a theological reflection that uh, we're about to offer. And in fact, I might even um, suggest it's more of a poetic reflection. Uh, and my poetic speculation is that what Christ was writing in the dust that day was the word mercy. Now, Francis, I'm going to give you a moment because you had, just before we came on the air, an even more interesting analogy, which I actually like. Go ahead. Well, as a result of reading your notes, I began <laughs> to ponder it all the more, and I noticed that Jesus stooped down twice and wrote on the ground. So I thought, well, geez, maybe he wrote two different things. And so I was thinking, oh, I like him writing the word mercy there at the end. That's, you know, I like that message at the end. <laughs> that gives me hope. But I thought, well, what would that first message might have been. And in light of what we've been discussing, I thought, well, maybe it could have been the word tackle. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. <laughs> and of course, if they, you know, they know themselves, um, and, and as Teresa Vavla tells us, you know, know yourselves, uh, self-knowledge, how important that is, and, and to know God. And so uh, if he wrote tackle and then mercy, wouldn't that have been a good combination? I mean, of course, I, we I don't agree. know if that was it, but we're speculating, well, right? I, I agree, and I think it is good. And it, 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 uh, in prayer, of course, we're allowed to do that. We're allowed to question. We're allowed to ask the Lord, what is it you want to reveal to me? Um, you know, following with this sort of poetic analysis, I, I, and I'll, uh, again, continue with Francis's analogy. I like it. Yeah, I think he may have wrote those words um, you've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. And then he wrote uh, mercy. And, of course, we're told in, in many of the translations he wrote in the dust. And it made me think of this passage from Genesis 3.19, the second half of that uh, verse. It says, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. I like that. And so for me, Christ is, if you, if you will draw the analogy, listeners, uh, Christ is writing in the dust the word mercy in exactly the same way that God our Father wrote on the stone tablets, which were analogous mm -hmm. to our heart. We are all dust. We will all return to dust. And in that very dust, God writes the word mercy, not just because he's going to practice mercy towards us, but because he is demanding that we practice mercy towards our brothers and sisters. And of course, this reminds me also of... Um, the, that dust being s symbolic of humility. And as Teresa Vavala tells us, um, to be in humility is to be in truth. And so the truth is coming to the fore here. Um, so I just really loved how you pulled all that out there, Mark. <laughs> that was wonderful. Well, I think because we're going to run out of time here in a moment, we're going to begin to close now. But I want to um, just leave us with this thought from the Holy Father. And we're going to pick it up next week. 
um, and that is that mercy is not an idea. It is not a theological reflection. We've given you a poetic reflection of this analogous uh, uh, picture of our being dust and the Lord writing the word mercy in the dust. It's, it's perfectly appropriate uh, to reflect on it that way. But mercy is not a theological reflection. Mercy is doctrine. It is a doctrinal teaching of the church. And the Holy Father is telling us Christ himself was writing, and we must be a people of mercy. Now, I won't go into his um, uh, reflection on that, his, his uh, suggestion of that. We'll pick that up next week. Uh, but, um, Francis, I want to thank you for the conversation. And we've been able to build off each other very well here. I'm, <laughs> I very much, as I always do, by the way. Yeah, it's the Holy uh, Spirit. Enjoy thank our you, Lord. conversation. <laughs> but um, I know that we want to cover a couple things before we end. As I say, next week we'll continue this conversation, reflect on the, uh, on the Holy Father's book, uh, The Name of God is Mercy. We'll fill out the rest of uh, the story from the scripture verses and get more into the the um, answers that the Holy Father provided, which are very powerful. Um, I also want to take an opportunity. Uh, yeah, please mention that. I just want to mention this brand new book, Hot Off the Press. It's by um, Father Michael Gately. It's 33 Days to Merciful Love. It's a do-it-yourself retreat uh, in preparation for the consecration to divine mercy. And he features St. Therese the Little Flower in this. And it is awesome. I've been doing it day by day. And so I want to encourage you to get out there and, and find that 33 Days to Merciful Love. He pulls it all together so beautifully. And then you you have a pilgrimage coming up, Mark. We've got to tell yes, them a little bit about in, that. In uh, the latter part of September, September 29th, we'll be leaving for Quebec, the province of Quebec. We'll actually be uh, beginning our journey in Montreal, where we'll have an opportunity to see the oratory, uh, the oratory to St. Joseph, which was largely the um, um, gift of the, the sacrifices and prayers of Saint, now Saint, Brother Andre. Um, we'll see Notre Dame in Montreal. We'll see the um, shrine to Tekawitha in, in uh, just south of Montreal in the province of Quebec. We'll visit um, the first church dedicated to Mary in North America, actually. That's in Trois-Rivas or Three Rivers. Uh, we'll then go to Quebec City and visit also Notre Dame there, uh, Notre Dame to be fair, um, and the shrine to um, uh, St. There uh, Therese of Lisieux on her feast day, actually, will be in Quebec City Yay. and go to that shrine. And we'll also see um, um, the shrine, or I'm sorry, the cathedral to St. Anne, uh, famously known as St. Anne de Beaupre, where, by the way, and I won't give much more of this, there was a, a dramatic conversion, somebody shared this with me a few weeks ago, of a Russian spy at St. Anne de Beaupre. Ah. Uh, someone who went to that cathedral and was converted instantly. And where so. are the Holy Doors going to be at? The Holy Door is in Notre Dame in Quebec City. And I'll, I'll just say quickly, there is only one Holy Door in North America. There are seven in the world. Uh, the other six are five in Rome, one in France, and this is the only one in North America. We'll visit that as well. So really a spectacular trip. All right, I have a prayer to close. Uh, it's a prayer for trust and confidence in God's mercy. And it's by St. Padre Pio of Petrosina. So let us pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, we ask for a boundless confidence and trust in your divine mercy and the courage to accept the crosses and sufferings which bring immense goodness to our souls and that of your church. 
Help us to love you with a pure and contrite heart and to humble ourselves beneath your cross as we climb the mountain of holiness, carrying our cross that leads to heavenly glory. May we receive you with great faith and love and holy communion and allow you to act in us as you desire for your greater glory. O Jesus, most adorable heart and eternal fountain of divine love, may our prayer find favor before the divine majesty of your heavenly Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, I think I may have forgotten to mention in all my enthusiasm for where we're going to go in Quebec, if you want information on that, you can go to our website, CarmeliteConversations.com, and you will find in the upper portion of the screen there a link to the organization that is actually um, running the pilgrimage. So uh, I encourage you to do that. And remind you, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.